Well, this morning we are in the uh, second message of our of our series, uh, Small is the Next Big Thing, and we're going to talk this morning about downsizing our army, and that's going to be our topic. And I wanted to start this morning with this passage in Philippians 1.27. We're actually going to be in uh, Philippians today, so if you want to want to flip there. But as I was thinking through this message and what I wanted to get across today, um, this is this verse. Um, Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, this is kind of, a, I would say, the foundational verse, really, of the whole book of Philippians, that what Paul is about is he's got a real pastoral heart, and he's saying, as he's writing here to the Philippians, he's saying, I'm going to say some hard things to you, but my heart is this, that, that I just want your manner of life to be worthy of the gospel. And so as I was thinking about this this morning, and I thought, you know, we're going to hopefully say some challenging things. I'm going to say some things maybe that are hard this morning, but I want you to know my heart in this for us as a congregation, as a church, is, is exactly this, that I want our lives to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that, that I want us to, to see gospel-centric living be so powerful in our lives, and I want our lives to be worthy of that. And so what we're going to talk about today is how do we keep moving forward, moving towards Christ more and more in our lives so that we will live lives that are worthy of the gospel. So that's really my heartbeat here this morning. Um, so I want to begin this morning um, with this. Now, this guy here, you know, not sure who he is, but uh, this, this is probably a good description of, um, of me. I, I have this side of me that, uh, of course, loves ice cream, and my kids do too, but... Um, there's this side of me that's really all about me. Now, I thought this picture kind of depicted that. You know, I can be very selfish. <laughs> I can make life all about me. And there's this dark side of me, honestly, that I want to talk about as I get started this morning. This side of me that um, I'm not proud of. It's a side of me that is really defined by making life all about me. In fact, um, in reality, in kind of this hardened state of my heart that it can get to, I say all of my life, everything revolves around me. The world revolves around me. My, I even say I try to get God to revolve around me. I try to get God to, to be convinced that my plans are the best plans and try to even make bargains with him at times and say, come on, God, come on, come on board, and I've got a great plan for my life. And of course, my family, you know, it's all about me and my family many times. It's like, you know, shaming and making, putting out guilt trips and, you know, putting on airs of, of kind of this, you know, Messiah complex in the home of woe is me and, and if you would just respond in better ways to me, life would be so much better. And of course, do the same thing with friends and, and work. I want work. I want things to be about me and my ideas and my plans and my direction and um, even my dreams are all about me. And though this is a side of me that happens when I've hardened my heart, when I'm living in fear, and when I'm more focused on building my kingdom. I'm at the center of my universe, and I like to have everyone revolve around my needs. Now, the Bible is pretty clear on this, that left to our own devices, this is where we end up in our flesh apart from God, that we will end up here where we'll spend our lives trying to build our army, trying to build our influence. And again, I'm a nice guy. 
right? So I do this in really nice ways. And in fact, the reality is that I can do this in ways that you don't even realize I'm doing it. Now, if you live with me and you get close enough to me, you probably can call it out. But this is a struggle, and this is a real struggle, and I don't think I'm alone in this, in trying to build my influence, manipulate people to build my ideas and my kingdom and and where I want to go. And so when I'm operating in this fashion, there are two things that are true about me. The one is that I'm arrogant. I'm arrogant. I'm always right. Now, of course I'm always right. I mean, who isn't always right? I always know everything. I know exactly what should happen at any time. I'm arrogant. Now, again, I can be arrogant in very nice ways, in hidden ways, but the reality of the depth of my heart is that I'm arrogant. I'm full of myself. And I'm trying to just make my kingdom be front and center. And I'm trying to influence you to come along with me in my arrogance. The second thing that's true when I'm in this state of mind and when my heart is this direction is I'm indifferent. In reality, I'm indifferent to your needs. I'm indifferent to what it is that you're up to. I'm indifferent to who God has made you to be. See, I have to be indifferent in order to continue to build my kingdom. What happens then at this point when I am living my life this way and I'm arrogant and indifferent and I'm simply manipulating and using people around me, I end up detached from people. I end up distant from people, disconnected, and really feeling alone. So what's crazy about building our armies and building our influence is feels like it's the right direction to go in our selfishness to try to make it happen for us and to try to revolve the world around us, but the reality is it leads to disconnection because we don't really see people for anything more than just pawns in our system. And the reality of real heart-to-heart connection isn't even happening at that point. Again, the hard part about this is it's deceptive. Again, the heart is deceitful beyond understanding. You know, who can understand it? Jeremiah asked the question. It's a difficult thing for all of us, I believe, to be wrestling at this level in our heart to say, what are we really all about? When we're hanging out with people, what are we really all about? What really is the goal of our relationships? Is the goal to just use people, to manipulate situations. Again, doing it in a really nice way where we convince people, wow, you're a nice person, you're a great person. So this is the challenge. So what's going to disrupt that? And I want to turn, we're going to look at Philippians 2 this morning. Because Paul here, I believe, gives us some really good insight into how we can move away from self-centered living, how we can move away from building up our own influence in our own army and move towards downsizing, downsizing our army, downsizing our influence. So if we look at the first um, verse in Philippians 2, um, 
I believe this sets it up for us. If it's, if what's going to disrupt the direction of our life, I think, are these, this verse here. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. What Paul is setting up here is a reason why we want to be motivated or we could be motivated. And, and I think I highlighted the, per, the phrases that I think are significant. The first two, encouragement in Christ and comfort from love. I think what Paul is saying when we expose ourselves to mutual community and begin to experience the encouragement of Christ in our lives and the comfort from His love with one another, it begins to have a disrupting influence on our lives. And then the second action is this idea of participation in the Spirit and the affection and sympathy. And this is really God's act. When the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and we are experiencing God's affection for us, this is that famous Greek word that means bowels. It's this deep gut level. It's this idea that God has this deep, deep compassion for us. So I believe what Paul is wanting us to understand is that if we're experiencing this gut level compassion that God has for us, and we're experiencing the movement of the Spirit in our lives, this will enable us to move in a different direction, to get out of our selfishness. But when I isolate myself and I stay away from both the community of believers, and I ignore God and the Spirit in my life, I begin to get caught up very easily in this idea of it's all on me, it's all about me. And when I see it that way, I just want to build my influence. And I begin to say things like, I deserve it. I deserve it. So there's this battle inside of us going on. That is, Paul is saying, if you're in community and you're experiencing the love of God, if Christ is active and alive, then you're going to move away from your selfishness. But the selfishness in my life probably um, reared its ugly head in some ways for me, really in a deep way, when I first moved here from Chicago to start a new church. Um, It was this time in my life when I felt like I had sold out to God given everything up, and I came here to start a church from scratch. And this is a little bit of what was happening for me in my selfishness was I was even convinced that I had got God to come with my plans, and that at some level God almost had to do what I wanted because of what I felt like I had given up to come and plant a church. But I had this one conversation with my church planning coach one day, and it was a conversation that pretty much changed my life. And the question he asked me on the phone that day was a question I didn't want to answer, but he said to me, what's this all about for you, Rick? Who do you want to be? And I rattled off a famous pastor who was a pastor of a church of about 10,000. And it, you know, it was weird. As soon as I said that, it hit me. And my coach didn't even really have to say a whole lot more. Is this really about you? Or is this about God? That, for me, was a turning point in my life. I had to start asking and keep asking the question, the honest question of, am I, am I trying to get people in the church just to build my ego? 
Is this really just about me? Again, of course, it's a mixed bag, you know. But unless I was willing to begin to admit how I could be arrogant and indifferent with people, I wasn't going to grow personally, and I certainly wasn't walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. I didn't realize that that conversation was going to kick off five, six, seven-year timeline in my life where this kind of brokenness was going to just keep rolling over me over and over and over again as God wanted to get this message across to me. It's not about you. It's not about you. Stop being arrogant. Stop being indifferent. It's a hard message for me. It was very hard. And to be honest, it's still one that I have to keep wrestling with in my life. But as we go on here, let's look at verses 2 and 3. Paul writes this, says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says this then, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The good news for me is that when I started to be honest with myself that I really was about me, that I really was about building my influence, I found these verses. And I began to realize that there's an antidote to what was going on in my heart. And that antidote began here, as Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition. The antidote is to stop living your life in an arrogant way and to come to terms with this idea of humility. (laughs) It's an interesting statement, and we're going to talk about that a lot today. I want to really land here on humility, but this idea of selfish ambition, um, it's interesting because this, this term carries this idea of kind of a party spirit. It's this idea that Paul uses, if you flip back to verse 17 of chapter 1, he uses the same term, and what was going on there is there was this group of people that had kind of created this uh, party spirit, if you will, this selfish ambition. They're trying to destroy kind of what Paul was doing. And he said, you know, they were sharing the gospel, but they were doing it in such a way that was kind of making Paul's imprisonment worse. And is, again, the other word that it kind of comes out of it is just this idea of it's an empty opinion. <laughs> so it's kind of like a blowhard <laughs> is what he's talking about here. It's like just someone who just has opinions and just keeps talking and thinks they know what they're talking about, and that's really all about them. And so that's kind of the negative, is, is this idea of stop being selfish, stop having the selfish ambition. And the positive, Paul says here, is in humility, count others as more important or more significant than yourselves. And so the positive antidote to arrogance is to be humble. That's a tough one, understanding humility. Because as soon as you say, I'm humble, right? You're prideful. You're prideful of your humility. Self-awareness, it's like humility cannot exist with self-awareness because true humility um, is something that you cannot be consumed with yourself. And so you can't walk around and say, I'm feeling pretty humble today, man. Yeah. How about you? You feeling humble? 
See, true humility is all about someone else. It's all about the another, the other person. And so pride and humility are, are a tough one. It's hard to understand. And so what's interesting about this uh, word humility in this passage in Philippians, it's very fascinating as I did some research on this, is the word humility here is used in a noun form, and it's not found in any other Greek writing before the New Testament in that form. But the adjective for humility is found frequently and is employed over and over again in, in, in extra-biblical Greek literature to describe the mentality of a slave. And it conveys the idea then of being, you know, base and unfit and shabby and, and basically this feeling of, hey, you have no account. And so humility was not regarded as a virtue. <laughs> it was not something to be sought after. In, in extra-biblical literature. And so Paul here, though, is grabbing on this term. Of course, we know that when we get into the Old Testament, and Paul would have been reading his Old Testament, that God does, does begin to move humility to a high level. And he talks about his, how he looks uh, uh, with great care on the lowly and that sort of thing in the Old Testament. So it's the Old Testament that I believe Paul was reading, and it kind of began to help him understand that, oh, no, humility is actually something uh, to be chased after. It is something that we should make a priority, if you will. And so let's go ahead and skip to verse 5, because what Paul then does with humility is he then takes this term and he jumps to Jesus Christ. And he says, if we want to understand what humility is, then we got to look to Jesus. And he's really, it's, it's just fascinating to me as is kind of stuff is written and his history moved on, that Paul was the first one, again, who jumped into this idea. And I think it's great for us to understand here this morning, then, what is he trying to say and how does he define Jesus? So he says, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself." by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as we look at these verses here, um, the key here is, is he says he emptied himself, but then I want to talk about what does it mean he emptied himself? I think there's three things that Jesus did that we can begin to look at and emulate in our lives to understand how do we empty ourselves? How do we be humble? Um, and the first one is form of a servant. Jesus took the form of a servant. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he writes this. He says, More than any other single way, the grace of humility has worked in our lives through the discipline of serving. Now, as we think about this idea of if we want to be humble, it starts here. How do we take the form of a servant? How do we take the form of a servant? A servant is, again, someone who's willing to be taken advantage of. A servant is someone who's willing to be overlooked not going to be noticed. A servant is willing to give up their rights and serve somebody else. A servant is one who is not screaming out for them to be noticed. Say, recognize me. So when we look at a servant, it's interesting that at, at the end of verse 3, as, um, we see here, and well, if you look back to verse 3, it talks about this idea of of considering others better. It's this idea of you calculate that others are more significant than you. So a servant has this mindset that says, 
Other people are more important than me. So Jesus took on this form of a servant. Then the second thing we see in, obe- or we see in humility's idea, he became obedient, becoming obedient, obedience to the Father. Instead of trying to impose our will on God, if we want to be humble, we submit to God's will for us, knowing that his agenda is better, building his kingdom, and then we trust God at his word. If his word says it, we trust him, and we submit to it. And so obedience becomes part of our lifestyle. Again, how many times have you thought God was doing one thing, and so you started heading one direction, thinking you had it all under control, (laughs) and then surprise, something totally different changes, and you have to realize, oh, I started getting ahead of God. (laughs) I thought he was heading this way, so I started jumping ahead of him. See, obedience means we're always willing to wait on God's timing to obey his plan, regardless of what we might think is going on in the moment. And so the, uh, the problem with obedience, I think, a lot of times in our lives is obedience to God many times moves us back to servanthood. Jesus, he became obedient. Where did it take him? To the point of death. We talked about this last week, self-denial. Death, giving up our rights. Obedience is going to take us that direction. But if we want to see humility part of our life, we have to be willing to be a servant and to be obedient to wherever it takes us, to be willing to keep emptying ourselves. Then as we look at the verse 9 here, then it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is the third aspect of humility, which is to wait, to wait patiently on God's timing. Jesus waited for his father to lift him up. We don't grab for power. We patiently wait for God to provide the increase in his time. Jesus didn't come as a king. He came as an infant. He spent time here patiently on earth, demonstrating humility, serving all the things that we see in his life, waiting, knowing that it was leading him towards the cross. And then at just the right time, when everything was set, he endured the cross. So are we willing to wait for God's timing? Or are we always busy trying to move forward, trying to make something happen? Humility is saying, I'm willing to wait on God and his timing in my life. Something I've been wrestling with in my life personally is this question. I think sometimes I, I can get caught up again in my arrogance and thinking that God wants to just do something you know, amazing and, and I'm going to miss it. And so I've got I've to stay you know, busy keeping, you know, myself going in a lot of different directions. I don't want to miss it. And one of the words that I feel like God's been saying to me is, no, if, if I have some, something for you, <laughs> you won't miss it. <laughs> wait. Wait. Listen. Wait. Believe me, you're, you're not missing it. I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to help you move forward. So I've been looking at this as this, this, this line in our lives. And, and again, it's a directional question for us. It's a directional question, a daily question. As we talked about last week, our, as, as we move through our days, are we moving towards arrogance or are we moving towards humility? And it's a step at a time. And it's a question we have to keep asking ourselves. But again, the question with humility is probably looking more at, are we, are we serving 
Are we being obedient? Are we willing to wait? That's moving towards humility in our lives. And so here's a question I just want to ask you this morning. I want to ask you a few questions. Um, Where is it that God is calling you to be a servant? You know, behind the scenes where no one will notice. Where is that for you? Secondly, where are you right now struggling to obey God? You know, he's telling you to do something, but you won't do it. He's telling you to change something about your life, but you won't do it because maybe it's going to decrease your influence. Maybe it's going to move the focus off of you. And third question, are you truly waiting on God's timing? Are you waiting on God's timing in your life? Or are you pushing your own agenda right now, moving faster and in different ways than God would have you move? This is one of the directions we need to think about in downsizing our influence and our army is moving towards humility. The second antidote to our uh, idea of selfishness and indifference comes out of verse 4. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, not only do we need to move away from arrogance, but to move away from indifference, we got to move towards taking an interest in other people. And the term I'm putting to this is this idea of curiosity. It's, it's saying, I'm willing to understand how I can be more curious about people and take more interest in them, not just being all about my own interest. So, how do I begin to take it serious that God has created all of us as image bearers. And people have great dignity, regardless of their station in life. How do I start treating people as image bearers? Showing interest in them and and being curious about what's really going on in their heart and their life. Instead of just looking at people as kind of pawns to be moved around in my world so I can let it rotate around me. So this is the second thing that I've been looking at is this idea of what does it mean then to move towards curiosity with people? How do I make that a priority in my relationships instead of just being indifferent toward people and kind of just saying, well, secretly, again, none of us probably do this openly, but secretly it's like, well, I'm going to spend time with you because somehow I think it's probably going to help me. So in reality, I'm kind of really indifferent to your needs really indifferent to what's going on with you. In fact, it might even come out that I don't even show any interest or any curiosity in where you're at. So how do we make that shift? I think, first of all, we need to see it as a decision that we really make in time. And this decision needs to be made. There's a, there's a key word throughout the book of Philippians, and this word that Paul repeats over and over and over again in this passage, is this idea of mind. He says it's this idea that your mind can control the direction you're going. Your mind. It's like, make up your mind. You know, have the same mind as Christ. In other words, you can make it your goal. You can get consciously aware of whether you're moving towards people with curiosity or whether you're moving away from them and being indifferent. Become more conscious. Now, in my home... This has been uh, kind of a real thing for, for us, but I want, you, I want to take you back to when you were first learning how to drive. Now, 
I'm guessing many of you got here this morning in your vehicle, and you have no idea how you got here. You just simply got in the car, put it in drive, and you just drove here, just like whatever. The reason you did that is because you've moved with your skills of driving from this point of having to be conscious about how to drive to being able to be unconscious about it. I don't know if that's good for people on the roads with you, but it seems like it worked this morning. You're here. But when you're getting to watch somebody learn to drive, which we are now on our third driver, it's fascinating to watch this happen where the first thing is when, you know, well, here's the first thing about it. If you're ever helping a teen learn to drive, is number one, they all think they can drive before they get in the car. Okay, that's the first thing. They're, I know how to drive. It's easy. I've seen people drive. But then it's fun to get them in the car and get them behind the wheel and start the car up. And you begin the process, and they realize, oh, I don't know how to drive. And now you begin this process of helping them, and they have to consciously, they're concentrating on every aspect of driving. Well, I want to take you to this with curiosity and indifference. I want to challenge you to stop being unconscious in your relationships. I feel like we live our lives in too many unconscious ways relationally, where we just kind of are going through life. We don't really see people anymore as image bearers of God. We don't really take the time to really invest and, and to take an interest, to show curiosity. We're just kind of unconsciously moving through life. And I can think, especially I think that can be true in, in our closest relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, with our closest friends, even in cell group, where we think, ah, oh, we kind of know each other now. We've been together for a while. And so we kind of give up being really curious about what's going on. And I think it's important that we begin to think about how do we make a conscious decision. Abraham Maslow is, is I mean, we're very familiar with Maslow's probably hierarchy of needs. Um, of course, I'm sure our high school kids are very familiar with that right from school. But what's fascinating about Maslow is he was one of the first um, psychologists who studied healthy people. You know, up to this point, most psychologists were always looking at unhealthy people. But Maslow had this question. He said, what makes someone healthy? And what he landed on, I think, is really interesting, that he landed on that every person who was flourishing in their lives was living for a purpose or a cause beyond himself. So this means that as we hang out with each other, we need to be willing to ask, again, that next question of someone. Pursue it. Live for something beyond yourself. Think about consciously, how can I pursue what's going on in their heart, in their life? Now, I know one of the reasons we don't like to do that is it takes time. And it takes an investment. And I think for a lot of us, we packed our lives so tight, right, that it's like, I don't have time for authentic relationships because I'm too busy building my own kingdom, building my own influence. And so, to move in this direction, I think, is going to cause us to have to shift in some, maybe some major ways about how much time we spend doing other things so that we begin to make space in our lives for people to really begin to be curious. So let me summarize kind of where we're at today. I, the, the problem we're talking about today is our selfishness leads us toward detachment and disconnection. 
And that's so true in our culture. People are very detached. Again, one of the ways that I believe we see that detachment is in, uh, is in Facebook and Twitter, and et cetera. In many ways, it's like people don't want to talk anymore face-to-face in real relationship. They want to just tweet something or post it on Facebook or they want to, um, again, text it, you know, getting that with a lot of people. I'd rather just text it. Well, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'd rather you just call me. In fact, um, I'm kind of famous for not responding to texts. <laughs> and then people have no idea what's going on, I realize, but in my cell group, that's kind of one of the running jokes is, yeah, if you text Rick, he might get back to you in a week. So that's just my issue because I, I don't like texting. I just don't like it. But anyway, the point is, is we want to move towards real connection. And so how do we move towards this real connection is the, the overall principle is to do nothing from selfish ambition. The overall principle is to move away from our selfishness, to move away and think about how do I move away from being this person who lets the world revolve around me? You know, that guy eating the ice cream cone. How do I move away from being like that guy where he thinks everything's about him? And then the practice we want to put in place are these two things. We want to put in place this idea of moving towards humility and towards curiosity. We want to live in the blue box in our lives. We want to be taking steps, step by step, towards humility, step by step, towards more curiosity in our relationships. Again, this is not an all-or-nothing thing. This is a daily challenge. It's a daily battle. And we have to keep battling in our hearts for this idea that we want to keep moving towards humility and towards curiosity. It's incremental in the way we move. It's not going to be all of a sudden one day we wake up and now we're, we're, we're way down the line on it. But I want to challenge us to really make this a priority this week. So in cell groups this week, um, we put together an exercise in cell groups this week where what I'm, I'm asking for is... Um, for you as a cell group, not to talk about this stuff, but to do it. To actually, instead of talking about, hey, we should be more curious about each other. Hey, we should be more humble. We're gonna, we put an exercise together to actually have you do it, to act it out, and to, to begin, if you haven't been doing this, to really make that a priority in your cell group where you're asking the next question when someone shares something, and you're moving towards showing interest in other people in your life. So again, it becomes this conscious decision that you have to make. Well, we talked about this series, and when we talked about it, um, one of the things that kind of rose to the top for us was the Lord's Prayer. And we know uh, last week we had a little thing cut out of it to take home and to play somewhere. Hopefully you've been saying it all week. Um, and, And I wanted to go back there today as we close to remind us again that As we look at the Lord's Prayer, it's about God's kingdom. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This message in this week is really kind of focused on verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As I thought about this Lord's Prayer and, and framing it in the Lord's Prayer, I realized that Humility, it's right there, humility. If we are willing to forgive those who have hurt us, 
that shows great humility. And of course, what drives us to that is we realize that God has forgiven us of our debts. And so this week, I want to challenge you as you're reflecting on that prayer to maybe land in that area in your life and say, are there relationships right now where I'm needing to forgive? Where I need to move towards humility in that way, to be obedient, that obedient aspect of humility, and forgive people who have hurt me? What would that look like? And so, so this week, as you're reflecting on the Lord's Prayer, maybe you can kind of move that direction. Then I want to just close this morning with um, two quotes from um, two people who know a lot about this. And the first is from uh, John Stott, and um, he just summarizes so simply. He says, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. I could have just got up this morning and said that probably. I took a lot more time to get there. Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. And then Timothy Keller in The Reason for God, he, he, he writes this. He says, We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness destroys the fabric of what God has made. Again, I feel like that really summarizes it well, that our self-centeredness destroys what God has made. It destroys the dignity of one another. And so this week in cell groups, and I also want to challenge you in your friendships, in your marriages, with your kids, I want to challenge you this week to live more consciously and to begin to say, okay, am am I present here in this moment? And I'm going to be ready to ask the next question, to be curious to be moving towards people in my relationships. I want to challenge all of us this week to do that. It's hard, but hopefully this week you can begin your week today and moving into tomorrow to begin thinking, I want to live consciously. I want to live consciously, and I want to be aware. Am I, am I moving towards people with humility and curiosity? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we know that we cannot do this without your power, and we recognize that we have your Spirit in us. We've been loved with deep compassion by you. And Lord, we have one another who are filled with the Spirit, and we have a mutual community here. And so, Lord, I just pray this week that we would look to our community, look to you, ask you to show us, and then empower us to move towards humility and curiosity in our relationships this week. We just pray these things in your name. Amen.